Good morning. I'm Angela Davis, and you're listening to NPR News. So glad you could join us today. School leaders have been under so much stress the last few years because of the disruption caused by the COVID-19 pandemic. Many teachers are worn out. Students have lost ground. And stubborn achievement gaps between students of color and white students persist. It's easy to get discouraged. And that's why it's so important to look for sources of inspiration and innovation. Today, I'm talking with the leaders of two groups that have some big ideas about how to support and reimagine education especially in the area of equity. More than a third of Minnesota students identify as students of color, but less than 6% of teachers are people of color. One of the things that we'll talk about this hour is how to make it easier for teachers of color to teach in classrooms. And I want to hear from you, too, as we discuss this. I want to know what is working at your local school and what isn't working. How would you like to see school reimagined to advance equity and to better support teachers as well as students? The phone lines are open, and here are the numbers you can call. You can call us at 651-227-6000. Again, that number is 651-227-6000. You can also call 800-242-2828 or reach out to me on Twitter. I'm at Angela Davis MPR. Let me bring in our guests both in the studio. I have Shonda Smith-Baker here, the Senior Vice President of Impact at the Minneapolis Foundation, The foundation runs an initiative called Reimagine Education, where staff research uh, what is and isn't working in schools and try to create a plan for change. Now, Shonda oversees the foundation's grant-making programs and provides strategic direction to community initiatives and partnerships and is the host of the podcast, Conversations with Shonda. Welcome to the program, Shonda. Thank you. It's such a joy to be here with you, Angela. Yes, you are a community leader, so eager to hear what you have to say on this important topic. We also have with us in the studio, Makisha Nation. Makisha is the executive director for Teach for America, the Twin Cities region. Now, that organization is focused on improving access to quality education. Thank you for joining us this morning, Makisha. It's such a pleasure to be here with you, Angela, and with you, Shonda. I often say to people I meet, yeah, education is my jam. Why? Because it has such a tremendous impact on me, um, my my childhood story, and who I am as an adult. Uh, people may not necessarily connect the two, but we'll get to that in a little bit. I just want to ask uh, both of you overall, um, I know that you're passionate about the work that you do. It's personal to you. And, and and both of you are in frequent contact with educators, parents, and students. And so first, I just want to know from each of you, what is the general feeling about how things are going inside schools? What are you, you getting? Like, what is sort of the vibe of how things stand right now with education? What would you say, Makisha? I'd say people are focused. Um, the disruption that this last three years um, has placed is really difficult, you know, and I think our leaders are wrapping their minds around how to best support students that were experiencing challenges even before the pandemic. And I think um, what they're really trying to do is uh, make sure that we are um, meeting students where they are uh, and really creating an environment where students feel seen and valued. And at the same time, trying to hold a high bar for accelerating their learning, especially in literacy and math, two of the areas that were significantly impacted by the pandemic. The other thing that they're really trying to be thoughtful of is what do teachers need in this moment? Um, Because for the last three years, 
kind of been a little bit of survival mode, right? And so right. we really want to stop, take stock and invest in our leaders and invest in our teachers to create the conditions for true resiliency and growth in their classrooms. And so I know that is top and foremost on their minds right now. Um, and there's a lot of concern about retention, right? Folks that have um, made it work through the last three years and, and now are feeling that sense of exhaustion. And so how do you create space for renewal and for recommitment to the work? That is very much on the minds. And then parents that were navigating um, the last couple of years with their kids, really wanting to make sure that they understand how they can be a support to the work that's happening in the classroom. Do you get a sense of hopefulness at all? I do get a sense of hopefulness because I think um, – this generation of young people kind of demand it when you think about it. You yeah, know, they're vocal. The students they're are very vocal. vocal. Right. Um, they know what works for them. They know what doesn't work for them. Mm-hmm. Um, they want better access to like leveraging technology to learn. So as an educator and a school leader, you have to be in a constant state of reinvention right now mm-hmm. and making sure that what you're doing with students feels like it's relevant, not just for what they need to learn for today, but for where they want to go in their future. And I mm-hmm. think students... Um, will feel that sense of belonging if uh, teachers and leaders in their buildings are creating that. And that sense of what I'm learning today is going to create a pathway to my future and really making sure that through line is there and they can see it and experience it on a day-to-day basis, which is a challenge because education holistically has not always kept up with the times in terms of change. And so um, it right. really requires a lot of reinvention uh, a lot of ability to share best practices across classrooms and across buildings. Um, so that's a big part of what I think um, is happening right now. And people are getting really creative about how they do that. Ooh, it sounds um, it sounds exhausting. Jonathan. <laughs> and we, we talk about reinventing something. Oh, man, that's going to take some time. Mm-hmm. But, there, you know, for me as, as a parent, I always felt a sense of urgency because I'm like, well, baby gets one chance to do fourth grade. Yeah. So change needs to happen now. Mm-hmm. How would you describe that, how people in general seem to talk about education or feel uh, how things are going right now in schools? Yeah, I mean, I love that you started out with baby got one chance. <laughs> Did I say that? <laughs> I, I, I mean, said because, that a few times. <laughs> because I think what's what's great about the comment is, and we've all heard the the comment of it depends on what side of the elephant you're sitting on. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that that's really true. I think that when you think about from the student perspective, they're looking for the experience that they expected and imagined as a student, right? I have a high school senior that hasn't really had a typical high school experience. And so I've watched him both have the joys of high school, but also grieve what he expected high school to be mm-hmm. and watch his peers also go through um, that experience and watching the adults that are responsible for him in that building. Cause all of the adults in the building aren't teachers, <laughs> Right. There are many other adults. There's many other adults that are responsible for him really try to step in with the innovation and the response and the renewal that Makisha was speaking of um, to meet the emotional, the social and emotional needs of those students. And then you have the parents that are like, look, baby got one chance. (laughs) So what are we going to do? And so what I would say is that, um, you know, my experience across the board is that you have people that have spent their life committed to ensuring that the young people that they are engaged with have a bright future, that they have um, remained committed throughout many barriers, and they are eager for support, infrastructure, resources that allow them to support those students to the best in which they've imagined And they're getting feedback and pressure from all directions. And I think we're in a moment in time where if we don't 
understand fully deeply um, the experiences of parents, students, teachers, administrators, what is happening on the school, in schools, um, and bring those resources to bear that we are going to continue to lose teachers in classrooms um, that should be there with our students. Mm-hmm. And I think that's that's what I'm seeing is, is teachers that are saying, look, I, you know, like I'm sort of paddling here mm-hmm. and um, I love your kids, um, but I need help. And it, it has been an exhausting journey here. Teacher retention, teacher recruitment, uh, two huge areas of concern in education. So, Makisha, uh, for folks who've not heard about Teach for America, can can you tell us, uh, like, what does Teach for America do? Give us an overview of the program and, it, and its purpose. Sure. So Teach for America started um, about 30 years ago with this idea that we want to make sure all students have access to an excellent education. And so one of our primary focuses is recruiting uh, talent into the education field. So folks initially uh, make a two-year commitment to teach in under-resourced schools across the country. Um, they get uh, mentorship and coaching and support. Um, they get their teacher license if they don't already have an education license while they're in the program. And what we've seen is that when those teachers um, are recruited for the mindset and the things that Sean and I were talking about, um, and they also have in-depth coaching and support, they're actually able to create um, an environment where students make academic gains, both in reading and math, but even more so that the students um, get a sense of what their possibilities are, and that teacher partners with them to say, here are the things that you need to do to help accomplish that. Uh, and so we've seen um, our a number of our um, teachers have gone on and stayed in education well beyond the two years. So I often talk about it becomes a lifetime commitment to advance education equity, to be committed to students' success and family success. Um, and then in the last few years here in the Twin Cities, we've been in Minnesota for almost 15 years. Mm-hmm. Um about a third to 45% of my teachers have been teachers of color against a state backdrop that's usually only 6%. Uh, And then we've seen as folks have led turnaround at schools, um, one of the benefits of talking with Shonda is her uh, uh, uncle was Richard Green, and we placed core members uh, at Richard Green Elementary. Um, There was a school leader that was recruited that was a TFA alum, and they led school-wide turnaround at that school and. um it's just amazing to see kind of what happens in schools when you have leadership that has support, when you have community investment. Um, there's a lot of things that can be more possible. And so that's the work that we try to do in community, really helping students and families achieve their dreams and being able to be a supportive force within the classroom uh, for students to grow and learn. And so walk us a little bit through how this this works uh, with Teach for America. Let's say I'm a recent college graduate, but uh, with a with a bachelor's degree, but I didn't major in education, um, but I'm interested in teaching. So what happens next if I reach out to Teach for America and and say, hey, what can we do here? So one, we would um, one encourage you to apply because there's a rigorous application process that you have to go through. So we'll cross that hurdle, explain that process to you. Then I would say, okay, let's look at what your undergraduate major was in, because one of the things that we really want to make sure is that somebody's content ready. So you might have been a math major. That'd be incredible because we know we need Mm -hmm. more great math teachers or a science major. Um, And so we look at what content you already have that would be a good fit for which licensure area. Then when you come into our program, you actually come in on a tier two license in Minnesota, which is really important because it means you're enrolled in a a teacher prep program concurrently while you're teaching. Um, And then you also will have a uh, mentor, so there's an instructional coach on my team, Hazen Fairbanks, who was a former assistant principal that's actually going to be coaching and mentoring you through your first two years in the classroom. So when somebody comes into our program, 
They meet the application requirements. We think about their licensure area. And then they actually interview with our school partners. So we have a partnership um, with uh, both charter schools and public schools. And so those leaders actually will interview those core members and make a decision on who they want to hire to work at their school. So they go through the same rigorous process that most first-year teachers do. uh, And then they're placed at that school for at least two years. And so what impact do you think these uh, new teachers are having? So they're they're having a great impact. Um, there's been a couple of studies that have done, been done on Teach for America teachers. And I think the benefit is not only are you getting somebody that's deeply committed and deeply rooted in having impact in the local community and in their classroom, but they're also going to go above and beyond. So I've had core members that have started Black student unions at their school. I have core members that have started Girls on the Run chapter, um, mm-hmm. folks that have uh, created new programs. So you're getting someone that wants to see their students learn and grow immediately. And you're getting a, a, a core member that's interested in how do I support the leadership at this school for creating the culture and the climate they want to see students succeed. So um, typically what you'll see um, for any first year teacher, there's usually about 0.6 level of growth, you know, so um, with a core member, because of the coaching and support, they're usually seeing their students not only um, meet the bar for this particular year, but start to prepare them for the next year. So we've seen, um, on average, a, about a year to a year and a half worth of growth from an early career teacher, which typical growth would be about 0.6 or 0.7. So um, I think it's really important for people to understand for teachers to be effective, they need coaching and support. It's the hardest job you'll ever love. And part of what our special sauce is, is that additional training, support, and mentorship to really help teachers figure out how to problem solve, how to make connections, how to support their students holistically. We're talking about uh, ways to improve uh, education and and resources and agencies uh, outside of school districts that are stepping in to help. I want to hear from you too. I want to know what do you feel is going well? What's working well at your child's school or your neighborhood school? What isn't working? How would you like to see education reimagined to advance equity and to better support teachers as well as students? Give us a call at 651-227-6000 or 800-242-2828. Shonda, as I I think about uh, all the work that the Minneapolis Foundation does uh, in the region, um, I'm just curious. I know that that education is a a priority. A a lot of the grants that the foundation administers um, support education. So how do you describe um, why that is such a priority for the Minneapolis Foundation? Why do you guys care so much about that? Yeah, I mean, you know, first it is a priority because we care about young people across the state and the region. Um, we understand that they are the future. We understand their importance and their brilliance, um, and we want to invest in them. We understand the importance of our school systems, um, the importance to our neighborhood, the vibrancy, um, the economic ecosystem, um, future workforce, future workforce. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, and so that's important. So when the Minneapolis foundation went upon uh, a journey of thinking through where could we make the most impact, um, when we were exploring our new strategic framework, um, reimagine education just stayed consistent. We had been in that work for many, many years. Um, you know, just like everything, sometimes we really hit the nail on the head and sometimes, you know, we did not. Um, but we knew that staying in education and remaining committed to ensuring that all of our kids had the opportunity to get what they needed in the classroom and in their community um, was a, a key outcome for us. 
So that's what we did, and we stayed at it. Um, I am so thankful for Dr. Michael Rodriguez and and other folks that are on our board that really pushed us. Um, Patrice Rutherford, I think you know Patrice from past work, Mm -hmm. um, and others. um, She has just done a dynamite job of leading us through this journey of our our education um, portfolio. And Patrice and I came back to our board and we said, you know, here's where we're headed, right? Thinking about how we encourage youth and teacher and principal leadership. How do we think about culture, school culture that um, allows for the foundation of academic success? Um, and our board smartly just said, you know, we need to be bolder. We need to think more critically about how we're doing this work. And so we put it as one of the key focus areas, um, what we're calling community level change. Um, and so that means that we're going all in. Our leadership is going all in. We're using all of our levers um, that we have as a community foundation, which means we're convening on it. We're talking on it. We're putting out research. Um, we're granting. We have co-investment opportunities um, because it's just that important for us to think about, um, to be about it and to measure what our own actions are. And so that's what we're doing. It, it Angela, it is... Um, it it has been uh, eye opening, um, and you know we're talking about uh, many things here, Makisha, in terms of what's working and the opportunities. Um, but I think that when we get right in there, especially with the research um, that we've been putting out, it's been quite remarkable. I want to ask about the research. I sure. love uh, research and findings uh, because they demonstrate problems, not just opinions. No, yeah. this is what we see. And I know uh, one um, survey that you guys did, I think the results were just released last year, the Minnesota Principal Survey, mm-hmm. uh, a survey of hundreds of school leaders. What did that reveal when, when you all talked to principals across Minnesota? Yeah, again, Dr. Uh, Katie Patel in the University of Minnesota and Dr. Michael Rodriguez um, really supported uh, Patrice Rutherford on our team um, with putting out the first of its kind principal survey across the state. And we thought that that was really important. And we had a high rate of response um, from, uh, and we, we put the survey out to all of the districts mm-hmm. across the state. And we know that principals are a key role in leadership and supporting the teachers, the families, the students, and the school. They create the environment in the they whole building. They create the environment. Right. Mm-hmm. The stability of um, the schools impacting student achievement. And so what we um, learned from that are a couple of things. One is that um, the commitment of those principles to advance academics is there 100 percent that we know that um, and especially through 2020, where we've seen an emergence of um, what we, I guess, have called a racial reckoning, mm-hmm. that there's an increase um, understanding and expectation around racial equity, that there needs to be training and support that advances it. We know across the street, uh, the, uh, across the street, across, across the, the state, state. Mm-hmm. Um, that there's more diversity and that right. we need um, schools that are prepared to receive um, those students and their families and that there are school communities that want to be prepared to receive them. So how are we thinking differently about um, development opportunities and who is creating those opportunities. That was really one of the key lessons out of that research. So that's, that's what the, that phrase, reimagine education, is saying, that we need to do things differently. 
Absolutely. That's what that means. Like what we were doing in the past, it's not working. I want to uh, take some phone calls from listeners as we talk about ways to improve education. Um, want to hear your ideas and, and what you think is working and not working. Uh, you can call us at 651-227-6000 or 800-242-2828. Uh, let's talk with some of our listeners in Columbia Heights. Sarah is on the phone. Good morning, Sarah. Thank you for calling. And what did you want to tell us? Good morning. Um, I just, I wanted to say that, so I'm a mom of five children. My oh. oldest is 26. Mm-hmm. My youngest is eight. I have boys and girls. And we have experienced educational systems in, you know, I've done homeschooling, not for very long, totally my own failings as a teacher. So I definitely bow down to all educators out there. It's wonderful what you do all day, every day. Um, we've gone through pub- public schools private schools, charter schools. We've been in four different districts. Well, you've seen some things, I, Sarah. I have. I have. I actually, I also worked in an elementary school as an administrative person. And I, first and foremost, if you want men of color to be leaders in the classroom, you have got to let little boys be little boys. Let them get themselves, get their energy out, early in the day so they can focus and concentrate, reward that abundance of energy that little boys have instead of trying to put them in a, in a box, which I understand is totally difficult when you have one teacher and 27 kids, which is what my daughter is experiencing in her classroom. And her teacher runs a tight ship, and I think she's very successful at that. Uh, the second thing is to have good, solid nutrition. You know, the, the state of the school's lunches and breakfast is really quite sad. And so many children don't have food security outside of school. And so when they're fed sugars and empty carbs and processed foods and not enough protein and they don't want to eat carrots every day, nice. you know, we struggle with that, too. So, our that, little one. Um, so those are Lord. those are two of the things that concern you. Um, more teachers of color in the classroom and school nutrition. Um, Makisha, we're hearing a lot more about the importance of teachers of color. As we we said at the start of the conversation, more than a third of students in Minnesota identify as students of color or um, as um, in, in indigenous students. But just under six percent of Minnesota teachers are people of color. That's uh, for the Department of Education. And so, what can you tell us about um, attracting more teachers of color and retaining them? Yeah, I mean, one of the biggest factors in attracting te- more teachers of color is to make sure we're addressing some of the barriers they're experiencing. So um, Minnesota as a state um, had been in one of the uh, highest places to get a licensure in terms of cost. So you it's know, more expensive here than more other places. expensive here than other places. Um, and so one of the things that we did working with a professional education licensing standards board, which is our board of teaching, mm-hmm. um, Teach for America and a couple other community based organizations talked about the need for more alternative preparation programs or community based programs. Um, so now we have a couple of programs like Teach Minnesota, where you can actually get an elementary and or special education license for under $10,000. And that's a new program that just started a year ago. Uh, so that's incredible. And then I think there's things that we got to do to create a more robust pathway. So there are incredible young people doing things like Breakthrough uh, Twin Cities, where they're college students teaching in summer programs for with high school students. There's folks doing AmeriCorps programs like College Possible. There are all these young people who've already raised their hand that are working with younger students in elementary and middle school. And there are also people of color doing that. And we need to create a more robust through line from that interest to how do I mentor and cultivate that 
and nurture that um, that capability and that talent that a young person has already demonstrated to then see them come back and teach and lead in some of the same schools that they went to. We're starting to see that. I have an alum that teaches in St. Paul that taught at higher ground, and she went to that school as a second grader. Or Marcus Berg, who's um, an MPS grad that came back into my program. He's now been teaching for over five years in this community. So when you create those opportunities to meet their interests, provide that mentorship and that support, you actually can recruit more local talent. When you have a more affordable pathway into the classroom, um, that is also an important thing. It's not everyone has the ability to step outside of working and to student teach, not get paid Mm -hmm. uh, and make that transition. It's we really have to start solving for some of the financial barriers that teachers face to getting their license. So what is the benefit of having more teachers of color, not just to the students of color, but to all students? Yes. So, you know, One, it's important from a representation perspective, and I don't want to undermine that because seeing someone that looks like you leading in front of the classroom is really powerful for not just students Mm -hmm. of color, but for for white students to actually understand that experience and see the leadership that can come from a person of color. In addition to the representation, though, there's academic benefit for having uh, teachers of color. They often set a high bar for excellence in instruction. They often create a condition where... Uh, students are culturally affirmed in their classroom, and that translates to increased attendance, um, increased gains in reading and math. And beyond just that even year, there's been studies that show having a teacher of color once or even twice in your K-12 journey makes you more likely to graduate from high school and more likely to enroll in post-secondary. So there are longer term benefits from having a teacher of color once or twice during your K-12 journey. Mm-hmm. And for so many students in Minnesota right now, they never have that experience. I've interviewed guests when I've talked about education before that most uh, students in Minnesota will get all the way from kindergarten to 12th grade and never have had a teacher of color. And in college, that might be their first time, which um, for most of the country, that's not the case. It's, it's, it's shocking to hear. Yeah. I mean, I think, you know, what I appreciate um, a lot about what the caller said, and I think that when you think about um, culturally responsive um, classrooms, when you think about um student needs, you think about the different ways in which curriculum is approached, that is some of the um, data that we got from the survey is how do we think about um, approaching um, different ways in which students learn? Um, How do we think about culturally responsive classrooms related to the conversation we're having in terms of teachers of color, the diversity of who is represented in a school? What what I think about is representation does matter, but having students have a positive self-identity really does matter in terms of how they see themselves, how they belong in space. So when we are thinking about social and emotional learning, that is a big piece of it is to see themselves reflected both in curriculum mm-hmm. and who is around them so that they can see the possibilities for their future. And I think that as we think about policies that allow for teachers of color to um, come into the pipeline to stay and to be retained um, in the teaching profession and advance into leadership. I think it's incredibly essential. And I'm really pleased with some of the pipeline programs um, that are out there. And, and Minneapolis Foundation certainly does support 
many of them. Let's take more phone calls from listeners as we talk about ways to improve education, uh, what's working and what's not, and and who can help uh, make our schools more uh, welcoming and more successful for students. Give us a call at 651-227-6000 or 800-242-2828 as I talk with two uh, leaders who are passionate about education. In Minneapolis, Saida is on the line. Good morning, Saida. What do you want to tell us about uh, what's happening in schools? Hi, good morning. How are you? Well, thank you. Good. Um, so I have a child who go to school and also I work in a school. Mm-hmm. So things that I saw working within the school I work and what my child tells me because I'm not in her school that, you know, keeps talk, right? Yeah. And so um, what I work at, it's a great school. I mean, we have both colored uh, teachers, colored, uh, you know, um, not colored um, teachers as well. Um, what I was saying is that, and I think that works well, and it's, you know, first scene when the first day you meet the kids, you know, right there, sit, sit, what do you want, how you want to teach, and what do you want it to do? Because kids look at you and they, see who they can take advantage of and who not, uh, who they cannot. And so when you're in the class, you know, for already they know first day when you have them in the class and you start teaching. And so if they see you that they can take advantage of you in a way where, you know, behavior-wise, mm-hmm. then, you know, right there, you're, you're, you're done. I mean, it's hard to come back and, you know, set that values and you want it with the kids and yourself and to teach, you know, it's going to be difficult. So, Saida, I have a question. Are you a person of color? Yes, I am. And then you said you work in a school. What kind of work do you do in the school? I am, um, I work with, I'm an EA uh-huh. and I work with uh, special students, you know. And an EA and is an, an, edu- an educational assistant? Assistance, yes. Okay. And so one of your top concerns are behavioral issues in schools? Yes. I mean, every school, behavior is not just behaviors, but that's where the behavior starts. If the teacher is not setting up herself, oh, okay, first day I meet you, I can see who you are. I Immediately I can see you. I mean, can I take advantage of you when I'm in the class? Can I, I'm going to misbehave because I can do that. Mm-hmm. Or uh, okay, so so yeah, I, I want to ask our guests about this, uh, Makisha, and the, the training that goes um, mm-hmm. into uh, preparing uh, teachers for what they will face in the classroom. Uh, what can you tell us about uh, what Teach for America um, is doing to prepare teachers for you know setting a standard for behavior and also connecting with the students so that you have that relationship? Yeah, it's a very important part of our process, and I think in the early part of um, in starting in the summer, we actually do a summer pre service where our incoming teachers that are going to start in the fall actually teach summer school um, and they're mentored in their coach. And part of that experience is to make sure they have in-classroom, in-depth experience in the summer before they even show up the first day of school in the fall. We talk a lot of times about kids in focus. So understanding uh, how your classroom creates an opportunity to focus on their students, their learning, who they are, and the assets that they bring to that classroom. Uh, we also do a lot of work with our teachers around setting a vision for their classroom before 
they show up and inviting the students to contribute to that vision. Oftentimes when behavioral problems are popping up in the classroom, some of it could be past experiences students have had with disengagement. Some of it can be child trauma, things that students are navigating at home. And so really um, creating that process of inquiry for an educator to -hmm. understand it's not about me controlling the movement of a student in the classroom or about that power struggle, that dynamic, but understanding the underlying factors that are driving those challenges. Because of um, how we orient and train teachers around that, I think they they look at it with a new set of eyes. Um, I think teachers have to be really thoughtful about um, not creating a sense of control or power struggle. Like students are actors and agents. They have their own thoughts and ideas, and you have to find the right way to be a facilitator for learning in that environment. So we really stress that with our educators. And then on top of that, I think um, the benefit of having an instructional coach that's walking alongside you in that journey, because not everything you do in the classroom is going to work perfectly. We, we know that. And so how a teacher responds, how they learn, how they don't personalize that, right? Maybe I didn't scaffold the instructional um, in, uh, directions enough for students students to move independently through the classroom to do this last activity that I did. Don't make it about the students necessarily, but unpack what you are doing in that case to help build that. And so some of the benefits of the coaching and support and the mentorship over their two years is to help with that very thing. It is a constant calibration. Even your class that you have this year compared to next year, they're going to be new things and new challenges and new strengths. Mm -hmm. So really being able to provide that coaching and that support and that mentorship and that clear vision for what success looks like in your classroom. Shonda, uh, as a mother, (laughs) what have you seen or experienced with regards to school discipline and behavior of students and how teachers are or not able to handle it? Yeah, I mean, you know, I'll back, I'll back into that a little bit because what, um, the, the caller's question and, and Makisha, Makisha's response brought me to our themes again that came from the principal survey mm-hmm. that goes back to, um, culture and climate of the school, which speaks to how you build relationships with students, um, management and decision making and how you manage behavior. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the themes that did emerge um, from uh, the principal survey was mental health resources for students, but also mental health resources for the staff. And that was one thing that um, I'm not sure that I anticipated, um, but certainly we have all been through some things. Um, mm-hmm. And so how do we support the team, not just with diagnosed things, but with the pressure, the daily demand of the work and making sure that um, the staff of the schools have the resources that they need to be um, supportive to the students that have layers of needs yes. in those school environments. And so what fundamentally we're talking about is how do the staff and the teachers and administrators within schools have the capacity to build relationships with the students? How do they have the consistency to manage the behavior? Right. How do they build trust, um, which is foundation for learning? Um, and so what I've seen that works really well um, is when those things are there, um, when they both have high expectation, but that when they have a consistent relationship with my kids, like the first caller, I have five kids and I've been in every school system yeah. <laughs> type of school system. And so I've had to parent differently in all of those situations. And so I'm familiar with sort of the management of that. But when it has, um, when all of the magic has come together and worked well, um, it has been when, um, the, the, my kids, when students trust the school environment, they have, um, adults in the building that they trust. Um, and they know the expectation for performance is high. And then they can sense, they can tell the relationship 
between the teachers and the principal and the teachers, you know, if there's, if there is like a camaraderie between the adults in the building and that sends a message. Yeah. Well, we know that students will meet expectation. And Mm -hmm. so, you know, I used to say, if you, if you allow them to, to turn something in late, they'll turn it in late. And if they know they can't, they won't. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, that, that was for one of my kids, right? Mm -hmm. But that students will come up to expectation. So how you relate to them, um, they will relate to you. And so I think environments that expect a lot see more um, higher results. Mm-hmm. Let's take a, more phone calls from our listeners in St. Paul. Anne is on the phone. Good morning, Anne. And what do you want to share with us? Good morning. Um, first, I want to um, congratulate uh, Teach for America for all the great work they're doing. Um, Nikisha, you're awesome. And uh, I don't know what the Twin Cities education community would be without TFA here. Oh, wow. Um, and and do, I am, do you work in education? I am executive director of an organization called Adopt a Classroom. That is a national nonprofit. Sorry, I'm a little out of breath running in mm-hmm. <laughs> to the office. Um, a national nonprofit based in Minneapolis that enables individuals to um, contribute directly to classrooms in support of teachers. Nikisha spoke very eloquently about the issues of a lack of diversity in teachers, particularly here in our home state of Minnesota, and um, problems related to teacher retention. So if listeners are wondering, gee, what can I do as an individual? Um, You can go on adoptaclassroom.org, find a teacher that you would like to support, um, and donate directly to that teacher. Those funds are um, held in the form of a credit that the teacher can use to purchase classroom supplies that are shipped directly to them at their school. Um, also related to the racial equity question and um, a kind of a lack of teachers of color in Minnesota. Um, Adopt a Classroom has also established a racial equity in schools fund that focuses on providing resources to teachers of color. Mm. Um, Nikisha mentioned barriers to um, having more teachers of color in the classroom and a shortage of resources is one of them. Mm-hmm. I just love the idea adop- adopt a classroom I think you know when my, my kids are in college now but when they were younger I loved when there were holidays and special events and opportunities to chaperone and um, I think a lot of people would want to step up and, and, and help out and, and, and so to Shonda thank you Anne for, for letting us know about your organization what do you think about this idea that like yes schools cannot do it all that and, and that it is okay for outside agencies maybe just groups of people coming together and just asking what can I do to help is that valuable or, or, or does it need to be more formal, do you think? Mm -hmm. Um, I think it is valuable. And I think there's formal ways and informal ways for everyone in the state to be engaged in what um, we need to do here to make sure that all of our students have what they need. Um, Our educational disparities that we face in this state are not confined to race. Um, Low-income students, white students also, um, low-income white students significantly trail behind um, high-income students across the state. And so this is something that we should all care about. Mm -hmm. So whether or not it's adopt a classroom or co-investing in a fund that we have at the Minneapolis Foundation or um, finding a school um, that you hear about, that you want to be more connected to, volunteering in a classroom, Reading, voting, um, there are many, many ways to make a difference um, in education and supporting students across the board and being successful. Hmm. And when you hear about 
like what uh, Adopt a Classroom is doing, what would you want people to know about? Like, is that helpful? It is helpful. Big impact? You know, I'll give you a a really focused example. One of my teachers in St. Paul during the middle of the pandemic with distance learning, um, she had a number of kids that were in multifamily households. Just the students having noise-canceling headphones from when they were doing distance learning made such a difference of whether or not a student was able to engage meaningfully. And there was uh, folks that stepped up to provide that resource to that teacher. So oftentimes, um, teachers in schools are in places where they don't have all the resources they would want and need. I think we should address that in our budget uh, at the state level. But there's also things that community-based organizations like Adopt-A-Classroom, companies like Best Buy that will do a teen tech center and those types of innovation. There's a role for that um, because it creates better access and better opportunities for things that students need. Uh, let's talk about the state legislature. We know about the the big uh, budget surplus that they have and that there are, um, you know, committees working uh, on bills that will um, support education, boosting uh, more teachers of color. Um, how optimistic are you that what we're, that the state legislature can have a big impact? I think right they, now, can, they, can, that they will. I that think something that, will actually happen that they won't just talk about it. I think they're moving beyond just talking about it. Um, I know um, on Tuesday, this Tuesday coming up, there's going to be a literacy day at the Capitol. So there's a number of students and schools that are talking about what needs to be done to invest in reading and the science of reading and helping to advance and accelerate literacy in our state. Uh, So I know that that's happening on Tuesday. I know there's been some work around understanding the traditional underfunding on the special education, the special education cross subsidies of priority area of interest. And I know there's been some movement on um, our legislative understanding the importance of mental health support. So many people might not know that we only have one counselor in our per 600 students in our state. The ratio. The ratio is really, really problematic. I do feel like we we know that the schools need more resources, more people, more, more, more specific training for things that the kids need, but it, it still hasn't happened. And so I think a lot of people just feel very frustrated. Do you hear that? I mean, yeah. And, you know, I mean, uh, Makisha mentioned my my uncle, my dad's brother was Dr. Richard Green, and he was superintendent in the state in the 1980s. I heard it then and I hear it now. And I, you know, I mean, it is time for us to think deeply about what we need to fully fund education in our state. I do think the movement to fully fund special education would make significant difference um, to have unfunded mandates um, just does not make sense. Um, and I think to be able to make sure that our students that um, have uh, learning needs mm-hmm. that might look different than how we deliver curriculum um, currently should be cared for. And by doing that, it supports the entire um, academic environment. And so I think that we have a governor and a lieutenant governor that um, care deeply about this issue. And I, I can't imagine that we wouldn't see um, uh, something happen in this session. Let's take a phone call from a listener in Minneapolis. David is on the phone. David, thank you for calling in. Thank you for waiting. And what do you want to add to this conversation about improving education? Oh, no problem. Uh, I love your show, Angela. Always great topics. I, I have three high school boys. Oh, my. And my, my what's that? I said, oh, my. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. The, uh, um, my experience has been that, and we're new to Minnesota, my experience has been that the teachers that had prior careers, uh, uh, you know, before coming to teaching seemed to be much more engaged. I was much more impressed with the way that they uh, responded and the way my kids responded to them. 
Um, but I also have a uh, question, too, and, and that is that uh, Minnesota, from from what I see, has, this, uh, I think, the fourth highest graduation rate for all students, but has the third lowest graduation rate for African-American students. Mm-hmm. And uh, so I, that, I don't I, I don't I'm trying to figure out how do you how do those two things work together? And I, I think that there's a, a much bigger problem. I think I think having color, students or teachers of color is extremely important. But I think there's a bigger problem than just mm-hmm. that. Yeah. Welcome to Minnesota, David, where there are lots of disparities. Uh, yes, you're, you're correct. When we look at graduation rate, that's a, a, a place where we do see a huge disparity. Um, and um, we know that last fall, the state released the latest statewide test results. So when you look at, at, at reading and math, well, with math, overall, 45% of students uh, were proficient in math, but just 20% of black students were proficient in math. Um, that's compared to uh, 54% of white students. Um, and only 28% of Native American students were reading at grade level compared to 59% of white students. So these, these um, again, the disparities, these like, you know, what is going on? Everyone's in the same classroom, but we're seeing different results. And so in our last minutes here, um, when we look at the gaps, however you want to describe it, what do you think would be really beneficial moving forward to sort of close these gaps? Yeah, I mean, I think the caller and, and you, Angela, have, have touched on it where we have seen increased racial um, um, gaps and college readiness gaps while the graduation um, uh, rates have decreased. So what we're seeing is um, graduation rates have um, closed. Those gaps have closed, which means that our students aren't as ready for college as they need to be, Mm -hmm. which is creating another set of problems. Um, When you identify something as a racial gap, then there's a racial issue underneath it. And I think without us diving into what that is and having our schools be better prepared, again, the principal survey talked about the need to have more training and understanding of what's underneath that, making sure that those teachers and administrators are prepared to have those conversations to be able to identify. One of the callers talked a little bit about racial harm when it happens, or I think something about racial harm Mm -hmm. when um, things come up in community. How do we deal with those to make sure that environments are safe? We have to go to the other non-academic elements to make culture ready for learning, I think, to get beneath um, what's happening in school environments in order to address the gap. The students can't learn and can't focus when they're bringing community issues, societal issues into the building, which is what they, they do every day. Or if they're being harmed inside the building. Right. Yeah. If they're seeing things that, that mm-hmm. make everything worse. And and so when you look at the the, the disparities, the gaps, what, what gives you hope? So what do you think moving forward is going to um, make things better or we're going to see more equity and better yeah. results. What, what I, what I think is I'm seeing educators, teachers, and parents really ready to be honest in some places across the conversation about what's happening from a racial equity perspective in our state, our education system. Um, while you can insert, you know, stronger educators, more culturally relevant educators that can go a great, great distance, but we also have to understand how factors of systemic racism are impacting our education system I mean, it's impacting healthcare, it's impacting employment, and be really honest and in communication about how are we going to change um, practices and policies that have made it so that we have a state that's a tale of two states, where if you're white or in a more affluent area, you are more likely to have a high quality education or high quality experiences. And so in places where I see um, schools and districts grappling with that and inviting parents and students into that conversation. Change is more possible in those environments. And we know that Minnesota 
each year is becoming more and more diverse. All right, there's my music. Our time is up. I want to thank our listeners who called in with your stories and questions and our two guests. We've been talking with Makisha Nation, the Executive Director of Teach for America Twin Cities, and Shonda Smith-Baker, Senior Vice President of Impact at the Minneapolis Foundation. This conversation today was produced by Maya Beckstrom. Be safe, everyone. Enjoy today's weather. Thanks for listening to a recording of my live radio show on NPR News. A reminder that if you want to catch my show in real time, tune in and call in weekdays at 9 a.m.